Hello and welcome to the Energy Live News podcast. In this episode, editor Sumit Bose talks to Paul Masara, CEO of Electron, about his former role as head of a big six company, why integrating new greener technologies to the grid is important, and Electron's flexible trading platform based on blockchain technology. Paul, delighted to see you. It's been a long time. Um, for the audience that don't know you, tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, so I've been in the energy industry about 25 years, I think, now. Uh, I, uh, I was originally with Centrica, uh, and so I set up and ran part of their energy management group, the Accord Energy Trading Team. I then went to Canada and set up and became president of the Canadian operations. Uh, I left that and, and set up a private equity firm in Canada, uh, came back to the UK, joined uh, NPower, became the CEO of Empower and was then on the uh, executive committee uh, for RWE and I was responsible for B2C, uh, for digital and I was on the innovation board. Now I left that in 2015, uh, invested in some small companies, one of which was Electron, uh, slowly got more and more involved and I've stepped in to be CEO uh, since March 2018. Let's talk about Electron in a moment. Let's talk about you. So, yeah. what's your background? Are you an engineer? How did you get into energy? No, so I actually started off in the city uh, and I did oh, risk management and financial <laughs> center. Uh, yeah, sure. uh, now I've had much more fun here. Um, so, I actually started off in risk management and yeah. I did corporate finance, mergers and acquisitions, and that's really what I was doing for. What attracted you to energy? Because you could have just stayed, it, you know, with all respect, you could have stayed in a very interesting yeah. and financially incredibly rewarding. Yeah. World. Yeah, bizarrely, at, at the age of 24, when I was yeah. incredibly mature, uh, I made the decision. I, I kind of sat there and said, look, I, I don't want to spend my whole life making money for people who've already got money. <laughs> I actually wanted to do something that was related to the real economy. Right. And so I actively went out to look for a role. And I joined, at that time, British Gas to be yeah. in their uh, treasury. And I did corporate finance and risk management for them. And that led on to acquisitions and mergers and I finally... So, in, in a funny way, even though most of us now, the press will hammer the energy world as being full of fat cats and all that, you saw that actually the, the, there is an altruistic side to energy that appealed to you more than the pure kind of financial world that you're in. Uh, absolutely. And I think even today, we can get hung up on, on a lot of the other mm. sort of the media issues. But, but think about what, what we're doing, really. Probably the biggest challenge that we have as a planet is climate change and energy is absolutely at the center of that. And so affecting that transition, uh, getting more renewables onto the system, getting electric vehicles, uh, all of this, battery, solar, storage, all of these things are really about changing the way we live our lives and creating a better climate. Uh, So that's still exciting to me. Um, And 25 years on, I still find the energy market amazing. When you joined, uh, I mean, obviously two big corporates, Centrica and then obviously to RW. Let's talk about RW and when you were uh, boss of NPower. What was it like being the boss of a big six where you have this incredible pressure of change, government uh, legislation that's driving things, and yet so much criticism about how bills uh, are worked out. Did you feel that you not just as, as, a, as, a, as a boss, but you as, as a voice of the industry, that it wasn't being heard about the decency that we know exists in the energy sector. It's very portrayed as uncaring and simply about making money and putting the prices up of people who are poor. So, so, so I think it's the, it, there is a media line 
um, that was also very also worked politically, I think, which was that if you were one of the big six, it was the right thing to, to bash them. To bash, and yeah. that was the easy thing to do. Um, and if you really think about that for a second and go behind that, people can get hung up about you know, executive pay, and I'm not saying there aren't issues. But actually, beneath those organizations are thousands and thousands of people who come in every day yeah. wanting to do the right thing. And they are doing the right thing, whether it means keeping the lights on, checking the lines, making sure the system balances, getting the bills out. I mean, they're trying to do the right thing. Um, we don't always get it right. We didn't always get it right. I think NPower had its own issues relating to the billing systems, and I absolutely accept that. Um, so, so, so I think that for the vast majority of people in the energy industry, you know, I, th I think they found it quite tough, the negative environment. Having said that, I mean, let's be clear. I, I, I think that the, there are some things that needed to change that hadn't changed. Um, and I think they're having to change now uh, because technology is changing so quickly that those big companies are having to change and the threat of new entrants that are coming into the market uh, is forcing people to do things differently. And, and I think in a sense, that's a good thing. Uh, and it applies to whether you're in the media market or in the energy market or in the hotel business. You have to adapt to the technology and the change that's happening. Did you find that uh, there was enough defense of the energy sector? Because I remember that time when, Ed, so you were there 2015, Ed Billerband was talking about the, the uh, energy price cap, which funnily enough now the Tories have, have, have taken up. And there was a lot of kind of as you say, bashing, but there wasn't much robust defence. Do you look back and think with regret that you didn't stand up enough for, as you say, the thousands of people who do a good job and the fact that actually if people looked at it, their bills were fairer? I, I think the energy sector had a problem communicating. I, I totally, inside. totally. But, but I think you've also got to realise that, you know, we did a process actually, I, I launched something at NPower called Energy Explained, wow. and we actually broke down the bill and explained what was happening to the bill and why costs were going up. And partly that was to do with government policy. And actually that wasn't a message that the government really wanted to hear at the time. And actually there was a lot of people who, who didn't want to you know, hear that. It didn't feed in well. At the same time, you've got to realise that the energy bill is probably your second biggest bill after your mortgage. It lands on the mat or in your email now, mm. and actually you don't really understand it, you don't feel you've got control of it, prices go up when you see, you don't really understand. And so for most people, it's actually a bit of a mystery. And so we didn't do enough as an industry, I think, to educate people and to give that breakdown of the bill and explain what was driving it. And, and that's probably an industry thing. Moving forward, um, you talked about technology, and I, and I will. I want to explore that more importantly. When you were starting your career, there really wasn't much pressure on the environmental side. It was a bit of a kind of wistful thing. As your career developed, things, the big change with EMR, particularly, you know, the whole kind of carbon push. Are we transitioning now, fully? because we've closed down things like the power stations that used to run? Or do you think we're still sort of playing lip service to it because we're still taking lots of gas in and we're, we're just, we're moving the, 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 the chess pieces around? Or do you actually think we're in the middle or starting, maybe not in the middle, but starting our proper transition? No, look, so, so I think, I think uh, the transition, there is no doubt about it, that transition it's is happening. happening. Absolutely. And actually it's driven by two factors. One is 
the reality of the climate change that we're seeing. Yeah. And that is uh, being driven into people's consciousness by the weather changes and, and, and the erratic weather nature, nature of weather. And I think the second thing is technology. So the reality is mm. that the, you know, the price of renewables now is cheaper than building gas. It's certainly cheaper than building nuclear. Um, and so the fact is that solar and battery are going to become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And these are technical, technologically curves that are just going to drive down the price. Yeah. And so, you know, we are, we're definitely at that horse car moment. You know, we've moved yes. from horses, we're going to cars. I actually think that's energy transition 1.0, which I think is now set and will run. I think the next challenge for the energy transition is actually uh, how do you integrate all of these different devices all the renewables, which are yes. you know, interruptible, um, all of the electric vehicles, which are going to be coming on, all the battery and solar, how do you integrate that into one system that allows you to get the lowest possible cost and allows you to have a reliable, balanced system? And that will be the challenge. And I think you will see in the next couple of years, country by country saying, look, renewables are happening, we know that. The question is, how do we get to 60%, 70%, 80%, 90% of our energy mix being renewables? So look, I think the first argument's gone, it's happening. The second argument is how much of, that, of the energy mix can be renewables. While we're recording this, Donald Trump is here, obviously, you know, forget the balloon and all that, but he's, he's shifted the energy conversation in America. Do you think that that is a, a message that actually in certain developing nations they might be thinking, actually we still do have coal, maybe we should go clean coal, but we can use it. And you're, you know, you're, aspirational vision that we're all shifting globally may be derailed at some yeah. point. So, so I think there's a couple of things about that. First of all, Trump has, has his view as, as the federal level, but, but actually both at the state level and in the city level, there's a very strong pushback. And actually what's being implemented is still a, a drive towards decarbonisation. And the other question is, as a business person, mm -hmm. Trump should realise actually you can't bring coal back. It's not effective and cost effective mm -hmm. versus renewables. Then if you look at the developing world and you look at China, China has been very clear about the drive to clean tech. And the reason they're doing that is a number of things. One is they've got their own environmental issues with smog and health and all of the other things they know they've got to deal with. But the second, realize, the second thing is they realize in the same way they've captured the solar panel market, mm -hmm. they realize the battery market, the EV market, the smart grid market is a developing new market yeah. that they can own because of their scale. So they are going to be driving for it. And then if you look at India, yes. and then you look at possibly North Africa and parts of Africa, again, uh, solar is going to be the cheapest form of energy. Mm -hmm. so, so I think it's the economics yes. matched with the desire for the public to get to a cleaner carbon position that will drive this. Let's move on to Electron. What is Electron? Tell us about it. So Electron really is set up to solve this problem. And the problem that we've seen is how do you integrate um, hundreds of thousands of devices, whether mm. those devices be cars, electric vehicles, batteries, um, uh, solar panels, IoT devices. How do you get those hundreds of thousands of devices that we will have in the system to play their full role in balancing the grid? Right. Up until now, we've had a grid which has been very one directional from the top Somebody controls it, it all goes down one way. Now we've got bi-directional flows, we've got interruptible wind resources or solar, and we've got storage resources. Somehow we need a, a, an architecture, a, a market, 
which allows those assets to play for buyers and sellers. And what Electron has developed, and it happens to be on blockchain, is a platform, a trading platform, which allows uh, new prices, assets to come in and to match for flexibility. So at the moment in the flexibility markets, we don't have any locational pricing. We don't price for inertia. Mm. Uh, the capacity mechanism actually is fairly rigid um, and, and there's lots of issues around that. And so what we want to do is create a new market because that new market will enable those assets to become and be adopted and play their full role and that will reduce the carbon costs for economies. In effect, are you trying to create a new energy exchange, a new trading? Totally. Place? It's an energy exchange, but it's driven at the system operator kind of work. So if that a billion pounds that National Grid, the system operator, spends today, we think 800 million of that could go through a traded market. Uh, 200 million would still be required for going to gate closure, and the system operator would still do that. But actually, there's many more buyers and sellers that can be involved in that market of flexibility. And that's what we're doing. And we're but isn't there a danger that as we move into this completely decentralized uh, way of, of living, that you, know, you want to buy power and you need it very shortly, and you, your neighbor's got it? And we may be doing all of that trading, and it's great and trendy hocks and where we are in parts of London. But actually, there's a need for someone to balance the fact that up in the shire somewhere, someone will still need power. Do you think that this trading platform that you're, you're creating will be biased towards people who are A, technologically smart, and B, where the demand is? And so in a way like the old stamp equivalent of the, of the first class stamp, you know, it's easy to get a letter around in London yeah. and, and then yeah. why do we still pay for something yeah. that's actually not worth sending all the way up to Scotland? Yeah. Yeah. How, do you, how do you see that working? So that's a really, really interesting question. Um, so first of all, we think the important thing is to set price signals. So the fact is at the moment on a capacity mechanism, there is yeah. no locational pricing, which is insane. The fact is today, if you're a VPP and you bid into the flexibility market, nobody really knows where that asset came from or what power was produced. So I think setting locational pricing is really important. Right. Now, our argument would be we're setting locational pricing. It's a policy decision on how you adjust for that. Yes. And I think there's a very big question about this, which is in the energy transition 2.0, as technology becomes a bigger thing, mm -hmm. Who are the winners and losers of this? I, I'm on the Fuel Poverty Committee for Government, and this is something that we're very concerned about. So, so I'll give you an example of it. Um, whether you have more and more people having embedded generation, it will mean less kilowatts flow through the transmission and distribution network. Yeah. The transmission and distribution network is still going to have to be funded, and therefore you, we are going to have to move to a more fixed-based connection charge. So think of your BT line. Everybody pays their 19 pounds a month, you, we're going to have to move that way. How does that affect people who are low users? Is that fair? So as Ofgem look at Rio 2 and they look at the charging base, it's likely we're going to move to a connection charge as a higher position. And then it's going to be, how does that affect the fuel poor and, and people who have low bills? How does it affect it if it's the people who are rich that have electric vehicles mm -hmm. or can put solar and battery in their homes? Absolutely. But people who don't then end up getting differential pricing because they're not storing their energy at that time. So our view is we're not seeking to solve those problems. What we're seeking to do is create a market which creates price signals, which allows uh, the market to help come in and solve some of them. But you know as well as I do, the market won't. The market will go where the money is. So unless you have government intervention in this new thing you're creating, totally. how do you protect? Totally. 
So, 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 so our view is let's set the price signals. If there's a constraint there because in the southeast yes. everybody's driving around in electric vehicles and we've got the storage and here's a constraint, we should set a price signal because the distribution network then should say either I need to upgrade mm. or I need to enter into a battery contract with somebody or I can send price signals for other people to manage their energy. The first thing is let's get a price signal. The second thing is how do you socialise issues and what does the government have to do? And, and actually I think it's super important that both Bayes and Ofgem look at this energy transition and think about who are the winners and losers in the system. Where do you see your platform being in a few years' time? So, so, so we are already working. Do you think that you know, people who are buying energy around the country will be going, so that the, the normal spot markets, and that's where they'll, tra they'll trade on this? Absolutely. So, so we see the big buyers and sellers, um, so not the individual users. We think yeah. aggregators will be the roles. We think the system operator, the DSOs, which will increasingly be coming, trading houses, yeah. will all be using systems like this to balance. Um, and so we're already working with some of the biggest names in, in the country, National Grid, EDF, Shell, etc., to develop these markets. And what has really uh, amazed me has been the demand that we've now seen uh, for this platform internationally. So literally, we have had people calling us up, other system operators from around the globe, saying, we've got the same problem. We don't know how to integrate these. Can you come and talk to us? So we are in active conversations with five other countries already to talk with their system operators, their trading houses, their suppliers about how our platform could help their markets. Do you envision the future being then that actually where we are right now, you have an end user, big end user, forget the domestic, let's just talk commercially for now, big end user, and they may buy direct from a supplier or they might buy it through a broker, or they can go onto the market themselves or whatever. Do you think that actually what you're planning and what you're trying to develop here with Electron breaks that model completely? So that are you going to be selling to individuals or do you still see your, your trading being done by those big, as you said, at present aggregators and big users and big suppliers? Or does it, does it not actually defeat the whole object, which is you know, the liberalisation of, of buying should be at anyone's? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things there. I think actually for big users, for the very big users, yeah. I mean, people like Sainsbury's and the water companies, they obviously have their expertise and they will get more involved in this because of the locational pricing. So those players will play directly in the marketplace. For, for others, I think it will be through aggregators. So if you are somebody who is rolling out charging posts now, mm -hmm. or you're somebody who's rolling out batteries, or you're a supplier, you're going to be offering your consumer a tariff or a deal that says if you allow me to adjust your battery during these hours I'll save you X amount of money switch on to my smart tariff so actually people have talked about the death of the utility yeah. I I don't buy into that I think utilities are challenged because essentially you're going to see new technology coming in which will reduce demand for their product but actually they are still going to be a major conduit to the customer um, another area that people have talked a lot about is peer-to-peer -peer, and could the peer-to-peer -peer market yeah. disrupt it. Actually, Which is the whole essence of what the blockchain will be. And the, you know, exactly. So, so, so when we've looked at peer-to-peer, -peer, we actually think, actually, what are you trying to do? How many times or how many people are there really that are taking energy, uh, you know, somebody's producing excess energy at solar at three in the afternoon and there's somebody else who's borrowing it. Actually, the number of desynchronized loads aren't that big. The second issue is, part of what you're avoiding is the distribution charges. 
If those distribution adjustments change and become more fixed in their nature, as we talked about earlier on, then actually your ability to arbitrage that goes away. You're still going to have to bill. You're still going to have to provide government uh, you know, incentives or taxes. So actually, we think peer-to-peer -peer is going to be much more limited than people think. So you still think it'll be done big block trading, but just using a more flexible platform? I think our market will create flexibility trading, yeah. but I think the suppliers will be a major, a major, will be a major role still to play in the market. Who are your competitors out there right now? Because you can't be the only ones doing it. There are other people who are looking at creating these flexibility markets. Nobody else is doing it on blockchain in, in this kind of way. Um, there's one or two other companies that are, uh, that are looking at this same problem and are coming it from a different direction. So you think there is a push towards a changing trading market? Totally, there has to be, because absolutely the technology is coming, nothing mm. is gonna stop solar yeah. battery coming and, and electric vehicles. So the question then is, how do you integrate it? And the, you know, the distribution networks plan for 10, 20 years. You haven't got that time to plan. People are going and buying this stuff and they're gonna be driving it and the prices come down, yeah. it's gonna happen. What about things like assets? This is the thing that I asked a, a fairly senior member of the energy sector the other day and didn't really know the answer. Who's going to own assets in the future? Because no one wants to. They're massive, they're cumbersome, they're huge investments, and they've got huge running costs. And yet, you know, we can't have, as you well know as a former big six box, you can't have the entire you know, energy need of this country on distributed batteries and, 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 and renewable at present. So yeah. there will be assets yeah. in your future. Yeah. Who's going to own those? So it's interesting. So if you look at the asset position of, uh, you're still going to have the grid wires and distribution as an asset position. In countries where you don't have enough solar or enough wind in the middle of winter, you're going to need a backup supply. Absolutely. And therefore you are going to need some sort of big generation. That big generation is likely to be gas, it's likely to be resip, it's unlikely to be CGTT because you're not gonna get enough running hours. So somebody's gonna have to, 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 to get paid mm -hmm. to do that. And there's actually, we're seeing a lot of gas resips coming into the marketplace. So I think that is, that is the model. They are just gonna have to earn their economic return over that period of time and they're gonna have to get paid merchant risk to do that. But then the other part of it is actually... So you don't think those people will be suppliers? They'll literally just be running little assets? I think there'll be people doing... Be, they may be suppliers who've done gas resips, yeah. but, but you're seeing the market come in for that. And if you look at the profile, as battery storage becomes cheaper and develops for longer, yeah. then the number of hours that you need to run uh, CGTT get reduced and reduced. And I don't think CGTT will be economic. Do you think that uh, this change, which you say is already underway, will have us in a very dif different world in terms of skills. So there'll be the people who are super technically literate, you know, who people who are real kind of, dare I say, nerds for this sort of stuff who understand it, and the rest of us will be left behind. So isn't there inherent danger that the blockchain technologies limit the accessibility? Because you've got to get your head around it and you've got to know what you're doing. Whereas most people who've worked in the energy industry can see a, a simple trading platform. Or do you believe that the technology actually makes it simpler? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important. People, when you, when you, as soon as you mention the blockchain word, oh, they kind of energy go, managers oh my God, yeah, what are they talking about? And they think Bitcoin, they think of yeah. uh, using the energy of Iceland and yeah. all of this stuff. What we need to do is not talk about blockchain. We need to talk about out outputs and outcomes. If I can develop a system which is cheaper, which is faster, which allows the integration of assets, everybody gets that. Now tell me how you're going to do it. It just happens to be on blockchain. The reality is for most users, they won't see any difference at all. 
um, these blockchains will run in, in the background, their actual interface. So we're getting too hung up on this kind of we're crypto and all up. that stuff. You know, actually blockchain will be really pushed in the financial services market mm -hmm. and, it, and, it and it'll be pushed by the banks and the clearing houses who will use it to save costs. The majority of us will never ever see it and never have to know about it. It will just be happening to get rid of those overhead costs. Do you think in five or six years, I'll have a little app on my phone saying, oh, do you know what, my neighbour wants to buy some energy and I know you've got some solar panel energy, would you like to sell it? Uh, I think there, there's going to be a whole bunch of different models. My own view is that the, the better model will be somebody who says, I'm going to take control and take care of you yeah. for your solar, for your electric vehicle, for your battery, because I know how you live your life. You're going away on a holiday break, I'm going to use your battery to charge and discharge, and when you get back, here's ten pounds that you wouldn't have made. So it's going to be those interactive. I don't think people are so, you know, nerdish that they want to know everything going on. There's a very small percentage. What they want is simple and easy to understand. And actually, as the energy market becomes more complex, in the sense of electric vehicles, storage, and solar, actually they want somebody who's just going to manage it for them. Will there be suppliers in five, ten? Absolutely, years time? I think there'll be suppliers. I, I think they're going to need to change. I think they're going to need to adapt. I think they need to work with electric vehicles, work with storage, um, and they're going to need to be able to use their risk management skills that many of them have to provide these time of use tariffs that really work for consumers. Are you having fun? Uh, yeah, having fun. Love it. Um, I, <laughs> I, I can think tell it's by the band. The 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 exactly. <laughs> no, look, I am. You know, I, I think it's. It, but it's, it's a very big shift, isn't it, for someone who ran such a massive organisation to come this yeah. small kind of little startup and be part of this but, big sharp end of technology. Yeah, but then you look at things and you think, we're at the energy transition, where yeah. which side of that do you want to be, right or left? Do you want to be a big incumbent who's got a lot of changes to go through? They're still going to survive and still be there, but there's a lot of heartache to get through to that change or would you rather be a small nimble company that can do things quickly and can get ahead of things um, and, and I just made the decision this was more fun than that. But you look like you're having fun. Yeah it's great. Enjoy Thanks it. very much for your time. Paul. Brilliant. Great. Really enjoyed it.